नमस्ते सनातन धर्मा एंड द आइडिया ऑफ गॉड एंड द गॉड्स सो वेरी ऑफन वी सी दिस कंफ्यूजन टेकिंग प्लेस समटाइम्स इट इज जेन्यन इग्नोरेंस एट अदर टाइम्स इट्स एरोगेंस एट स्टिल अदर टाइम्स देर इज अ डीप मिसअंडरस्टैंडिंग बिटवीन द इंडियन कंसेप्शन ऑफ गॉड एंड द गॉड्स and uh, the western and i would add to it uh, rather i would put it as semitic conception of god so and the mother speaks of it when that when i came here mother says that when i came here i too had to struggle against it because she was given this conception that god is out there above outside but all her experiences pointed in another direction and then when she met shirobindo and shirobindo says yes it is because the whole conception semitic conception of god is that he is outside he is uh, stern he he is a judge he is all the time watching over you and a little deviation and you know you can be ticked off a very moral idea of god in indian uh, thought and experience of god and this experience is built over uh, centuries so we must say that if by the sheer data as today nowadays we speak about data so in india there is an cumulative experience of god a cumulative data which is enshrined in the vedas the upanishads the gita countless scriptures saints sages seers vis-a-vis we see one particular founder with one idea of god and one kind of experience of god so in india this conception of god has developed over repeated experiences of different kinds so in indian conception god is not only above well he is above beyond everything uh, but he is also within the cosmos and he also is within us so very often we'll see sometimes that uh, some of the indian gods uh, they may have even a very human kind of uh, way of life and we may wonder and that's why some people even make this comment that well he is like a human being um, but actually he becomes identified with humans so that we can connect with him so readily and after all everything is himself he has become the human so there is nothing unusual about god becoming human and it becomes so much easier to connect with him but since we are at it i may answer one particular question which people were asking about uh, particularly about krishna because krishna is sometimes uh, a very enigmatic uh, divine being who is at once human and at once he reveals his uh, you know tremendous vishwarup so people who humanize krishna must know that this is not uh, just a human side there are many dimension and aspects of krishna and even in his human earthly leela many stories are very clearly symbolic like shri krishna marrying 60000 wives now this story if you go to the story it's very very symbolic for instance the 16000 uh, queens have uh, are energies which have come out of narkasur narkasur is the demon who had captured all these uh, queens and he had kept them in his uh, in the subconscious uh, regions and when shri krishna defeats him uh, all these uh, queens they want to marry krishna and krishna accepts so the story is very 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 clearly symbolic so there are um, in the vedas this would be described as robbers of the deeps the um, uh, those which steal the energies and drive it into the subconscious and we know what happens in our life 
that you receive something beautiful from above as a gift of grace, um, a kind of uh, illumination or peace or joy and very soon it evaporates or it goes down or it is turned into uh, a very frivolous, um, a very superficial kind of joy. People go start partying, they just throw it off. So this is because there are beings who take these energies and lock it inside. And therefore very little is actually available for the transformative purposes. The mother speaks of it in one of her talks where someone has asked the mother, Mother, when we pray to you for cure, uh, do you send the force and do we get uh, cured? And she says, I sent three times. But most of you do not know how to assimilate it. The first portion is to cure. The second portion to make you aware of what was the wrong movement because of which you fell ill. And the third was to transform that part. But most of us are either not, a, not open, not receptive and many times we throw it off and uh, that's what in the language of the Vedas it's um, captured by the subconscious uh, demons who drag it inside through doubts and many other um, resistances and hide it. So Sri Krishna when he conquers Narkasur, the name itself is very clear. So all these energies are released and they must get integrated with Sri Krishna. Then only they can be utilized for divine purposes. So that story is a very clear symbol and the story of the gopis where he particularly plucks their robe is so beautiful and symbolic and Shubhindu puts it so beautifully as is the person, uh, that's how they see. He says in the story a mystic will very clearly see the symbol of divine plucking of the robes of virtue and vice. But uh, the Typical moralist will see in it only, um, you know, a story of flirtations where one is, um, or if the Puritan mind will see it as a kind of sin. But that's not how uh, the Indian conception of God is. So that's where we have a beautiful writing of Shirobindo. I thought I'll read from there. It is this writing from the his Bangla writings where he speaks about East and West. And there he discusses some of the conceptions. One of them is the conceptions of God and of good and evil. So Shirobindo writes, We judge of good and evil etc. from the point of motive. Europe judges it on the basis of action done. So even today, so in India, recently there was this incidence and see how our minds have got into that groove. So there was in Uttar Pradesh a mafia don who was you know killed. Now, those rooted in kind of Indian thought, they rejoice. It's like Ravan was died. That's how Indian minds spontaneously react. But a kind of thought would say, no, 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 he has to go through a due process of justice where reason must prove and go through all kinds of witness boxes which we all know, you know, how it gets uh, uh, twisted and turned. But for us, it's not the action but the motive which is important. Knowing God as one who dwells within and who knows all that passes in our minds, we seek him in the soul. Europe seeks upon him as the king of the world. So because he is within us, he knows all that is going on inside, in our thoughts and feelings. So we believe so much in even inner purification, not just in appearance. Appearance is that I must look good. Here I must be really good. So that's why dharma is so important to a typical Indian uh, way of life so but Europe looks upon him as the king of the world this applies actually to all Semitic religions which includes Islam and uh, Judaism 
and seeks and worships him in the world outside. The heaven of Europe is in the material world. Worldly riches, beauty, luxury are welcome and to be sought after. So you see, uh, we see in Islam that when you die, you will go to Jannat and where you will have those whatever uh, hure and you know angels. So here also you can you know seek that kind of uh, outer riches and material pleasures which you see many of very strange paradox with. On one side, you have a very strict, dogmatic, uh, narrow way of life. On the other side, you freely indulge in pleasures, which is very difficult to understand unless you have this in mind that that's how the conception of the heaven where God dwells is. That's why you have those idea of, uh, now I'm talking about Islam, about sex slaves and th- those things because you have conjured a heaven where God allows those things. And therefore, on earth, if you do it, it's perfectly valid. Uh, If they imagine any other heaven, that too is a reflection of these riches, beauty and luxury. Their God is akin to our Indra. Now, Indra of the Puranas. So, where we also have, maybe in their uh, influence by them, because many of the Puranas have been written later on. Probably as a result of the invasions and we also started imagining hell and heaven and uh, that kind of a stern judge and who punishes and a heaven where you can enjoy luxury. But if you go back to the Vedic and the uh, Upanishadic writings, you don't find that kind of description. So their God is akin to Arindra who rules his world empire sitting like an earthly monarch on a bejewel throne swollen by the hymns and prayers of a thousand flatterers. So that's the conception of God. You must flatter him, you must uh, praise him, you must seek his, uh, you know, otherwise you are a fallen creature, you are a damned creature and a condemned creature. So this is how there is a conception of God. On the other hand, Shubhidra writes, our Shiva is the supreme among gods, yet he is but a beggar. Out of his senses, uncaring and forgetful, so, if you look at this conception, it is very difficult for the Semitic mind to understand. Why is he living on Kailash? His, the ideal that Shiva gives to the world is that even in rags, you are a god. So, he is in rags, but all the riches are at his command. So, he is the supreme renunciate. And yet, he is married. He has children, two children, three children in fact. And he, has, he lives on the mountains and yet... Uh, all the riches of all the worlds are at his feet. So this is the conception in India. And then he describes about Krishna. Our Krishna is a youth, fond of laughter, fun and love. It is his nature to be playful. So the conception of God in Indian uh, Sanatana Dharma is that we can play with God. We can talk to him. Like, you know, if you read many of the stories of Krishna in, in the... Mahabharata and, and of course uh, Bhagavad Puran and uh, you can talk to him, you can joke with him. Even Arjun says in the Gita that, oh I didn't know who you are and I have played with you, joked with you, put my arms around you, take gone out uh, you know, for a walk. So this idea that God can be friend and uh, everything else is something very unique. Beloved, paramour, all these conceptions are uniquely, even a child are uniquely Indian. You can't have in the Semitic religion this idea that God can be a child. But in Indian conception, in the Vaishnava, there is a whole way of life where a whole path, sect, where you treat Krishna as a child. Uh, 
Bal Gopal. And you care for him and that's a pushti marg. And so you can deal with God in countless ways. You can form every possible relation with God. And he is full of laughter, fun and love. It is in his nature to be playful. So we can play with Krishna. This world is a play and not just some hell where we are condemned. The God of Europe never laughs or plays. Since his majesty is hurt by these activities, his Godhead suffers. So you see that there is a division of life. Our God or the God of Sanatana Dharma, he is is engaged in every possible human activity. So we too can be like him. We can engage in these activities and bring into them the godlike touch, which is what we see. The extrovert attitude is at the back of it. Signs of wealth are, for them, the support of splendor. They cannot see a thing unless they see the sign. They have no divine, no subtle vision. Everything is material. So, God must prove himself by giving outer success, material success, material victory. That's how the idea of God is. Our Shiva is a beggar, but to the spiritual seeker, he easily gives away all the wealth and wisdom of the three worlds. He is generous to a fault, but the wisdom beyond the reach of the wise is his inborn position. So, again, it's not external, but internal, which is the focus of Indian uh, conception of the divine, experience of the divine. That is, within us, my thoughts and feelings are... My will and motives are much more important than my action. In fact, the value of the action derives from this. This is what the Indian God teaches. It's not that if you play, you become sullied and you become undivine. But why you are playing, what is your inner intent, what is your thought, feelings, that's what determines the value of an action. So that's what we see in the ashram, this very beautiful way uh, really it is along the lines of Sanatana Dharma, this Gurukul. So you have every activity which is represented. It's one of the unique ashrams that way, where uh, not, I, I have seen ashram where you have cooking, you have meditation room, you have a library at most and uh, some place for puja. And maybe sometimes uh, some activities, but very few. But in the Shirobindo ashram here, uh, every activity is represented. Because God can do everything. And he can be involved and engaged in everything. So this is something very uniquely Indian. And um, that's why, because the most important thing is the motive with which we are doing it. Our loving gay Krishna is the hero of the Kurushetra, Father of the worlds, friend and companion of the universe. So this is something very, very remarkable, especially about Krishna. God is a friend, is a very typically uniquely Indian conception. And now, of course, people copy it and it's okay. It's nothing wrong with that. I think uh, each religion has given something to mankind and we should benefit from that. But when we look at the conception of God, at least to me, it used to be so striking that he can he can not only be friend, he can become your beloved. This used to be mind-blowing, for, at least for me. You can love him as, as a beloved. So... Even you can have romance with God. And that's why Sufi mystics had uh, somewhere picked it up. Uh, but this was, 
ultimately they were practically wiped out now you have only sufi songs but hardly a mystic because this was blasphemy you can't treat god as a beloved but in india god is friend he can be beloved his companion india's immense knowledge and subtle vision unfettered unfettered divine vision pierces through the material veils and brings out the inner attitude the true truth the inner and subtle principles and then he touches upon good and evil but which we can probably read later namaste